Saturday morning, and we welcome you to Honda Classic Live. It's the only golf radio show in Palm Beach County and the Treasure Coast. I'm Ken Lavica, and we may as well not waste any time here because we're going to jump right into our opening drive presented by Tire Kingdom, and we're going to get right to the good stuff, right to the meat of this whole thing, right to the information with our golf insider, Sean Fairholm of Global Golf Post and GlobalGolfPost.com. Read all of his feature work. He has been heavy on the amateur circuit over the last couple of weeks the u.s amateur last week this week the curtis cup uh and uh, you're you're a busy man right now sean and i know that you have a big time passion for uh the the amateur ranks uh, of golf if you could for those who might not be aware some of the novices the curtis cup what is that the curtis cup is basically the female version of the walker cup so really amateur female players a lot of the top college players a few juniors but mostly college players on the female side it's a great event it's uh, it's being played in wales this year at conway golf club uh, out in wales just a really kind of unique event where you're 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 pitting the the best americans against the best of gb and i uh, as is the case in the walker cup and uh, we have an exciting finale on our hands uh, the the event uh, is, is finishing right now as we speak uh, for for the third and, and final uh, day of, of matches uh, coming into the coming into the day six to six a tie between the americans and gb and i uh, some fantastic players on both sides rachel heck the, the player Player of the year, the amateur of the year in, in female golf, won five times for Stanford, won an NCAA title, uh, almost won the U.S. Women's Amateur. She's been playing great in Wales, as has uh, Rose Zhang, the, the number one uh, player in the world. Uh, via the Wagger, the World Amateur Golf Ranking, she she's been playing well as as well. And, and how about Louise Duncan, the the darling of the AIG Women's Open last week, the the amateur who finished in the top ten there, kind of stole uh, part of Anna Norquist's thunder when he, uh, playing so well in, in that golf tournament. Uh, she she's on the GBNI side, so really some great personalities, some some future stars of the game in the Curtis Cup. Uh, so the Curtis Cup is ongoing, and again, Sean Fairholm is on top of that. You can read all of his work at globalgolfpost.com that's globalgolfpost.com there is a ton to get to including uh sean fairholm will uh, give what he believes will be the u.s and european teams uh later on here in honda classic live but it's funny we've been talking extensively over the last several months about what is wrong with Tony Finau? What is going on with Tony Finau? And a Sunday that gets delayed because of Hurricane Henry goes into Monday. But uh, Tony Finau finally gets his win, finally is off the schneid. Uh, that makes you feel good. He is one of the good guys on tour. He is so well-liked and so well-respected. It just feels right for Tony Finau to finally get a win and have something positive happen to him. Yeah, we've had a couple of these wins recently. Abraham Answer had a win that it felt like he was so overdue for a win uh, for getting his first one. And now Tony Finau, of course, so much has been made of him only having one PGA Tour win coming into last week. And that was the, the Puerto Rico Open in 2016. It had been some 2,000 days since Tony Finau had last one. And it was kind of a, a weird uh, Monday, wasn't it? I mean, there were, there were no fans. Uh, they, you know, they were playing the entire 18 holes in, in that Monday finish that, because of the, the hurricane that, that had kind of completely wiped out Sunday. So it was kind of a, an odd finish. I mean, Tony Finau, in a lot of ways, he went out and got it. How about that eagle on 13? Uh, you know, the 30 on the back nine coming home. I mean, he absolutely went out and got it. But at the same time, he gets a, an unlikely collapse from John Rahm over the last four holes. Really did not see that coming. 
and then Cameron Smith pumping a ball out of bounds in the playoffs. So, you know, it just goes to show you that to win a golf tournament, you have to go out and get it, and then you have to get a little bit of luck, uh, you know, in between that. And he uh, he had that finally fall his way where we've seen in the past where that has not gone his way, you know, at, at Riviera where Max Soma had that ball up against the tree and was able to, to you know, figure out a way to uh, to make par from from that uh, from that horrible lie uh, we've had other instances where you know he, he lost to Webb Simpson at the Phoenix Open a couple of years ago it kind of a very unfortunate uh, you know ending to the tournament for him there uh, it's just been one of those uh, situations for him where he's played well enough to win a lot of times and has not gotten it done but this time he finally went out and got it and then finally had a little bit of luck go his way it seems like there was just frustration abound uh, uh, over the weekend, whether it be the course there at the Northern Trust, whether it be the delay in the weather on Sunday to go into Monday. It, it just seemed like there was a little bit of an edge to everybody this weekend. Yeah, no, there, there was. Uh, you know, it, it's one of those tournaments. Uh, Liberty National has, has been a, a, a difficult site for uh, for many years. The, the players, uh, it's one of those tournaments where if you're able to get the ball in the fairway, if you're able to attack the, the, the course, you're, you're able to go really low there. And then sometimes if, you get, if you're not able to get the ball in the fairway, it could go sideways pretty quickly. But it really seemed like everybody kind of stepped up to the plate. There's that extra element that extra layer of urgency when you hit this time of year. Guys really want to make it to East Lake. They want to have a shot at the FedEx Cup uh, title for sure. So uh, it, it does seem that everyone kind of uh, elevated their game, and we're seeing that uh, again this week uh, with the BMW Championship and everything that's going on there. Yeah, we'll talk BMW Championship in just a moment. We'll go through the later bar, uh, leaderboard later on uh, here in Honda Classic Live. We're talking with Sean Fairholm right off the top, our golf insider, and uh, you read all of his work at GlobalGolfPost.com. Here's what I appreciate about Rory McIlroy. He is not afraid to speak his mind, and he doesn't care if there's going to be blowback. And generally, I think he uh, he strikes the right chord. There are not a lot of guys that would sit there and say, I'm just burned out from travel. I've really played too much golf because the instant reaction is going to be, who says that they played too much golf? How is that even possible? But I see what Rory's saying, and he has spanned the globe here in the last several weeks. He still has a new child at home. Uh, he has played uh, pretty much, he's tried to play almost every single weekend here in 2021 on the tour because he gets it, and he admitted going into the BMW, yeah, I just, I, I've played too much golf. I think that's very big of him to admit that. Yeah, I mean, and you could see it from the sequence that he had right after this uh, this last turn with the Northern Trust. I mean, you, so he flies home on Monday right after the tournament, right? He flies home to South Florida, gets a you know one night in his own bed, you know, gets to say hi to his daughter and, and his wife. Immediately flies back all the way up to Baltimore on Tuesday. I mean, he's been doing this for a while. He played in the Olympics. He played in Memphis. Uh, I thought it was interesting. John Rahm said the other day, "Hey, you know, you know, having COVID, not playing in the Olympics, having to miss a couple of events, it actually, you know, it, it, it's helped me for this time of year where there there's just so much golf and such a you know a tight uh, time period. So uh, I think a lot of guys are tired right now. Uh, it's just kind of the nature of how the uh, of how they set up." Uh, the, the schedule is that there's just so much golf when you have the open championship you have the the event in memphis uh you know a lot of guys love to play the wyndham championship we saw you know webb simpson and billy horschel and a lot of different guys uh, at, at the wyndham championship when you have so many uh players and so many events that uh in such a uh, tight time period you know I, I don't know 
I don't know how you skip a lot of those events. I think they, they did do a good job with, you know, cutting out one of the FedEx Cup events and bringing it from four down to three because it was way too much before. Now it's a, at least a little bit more manageable, but it is still a, a ton of golf, and guys are going to take a, a lot of time off after uh, once they get through the Ryder Cup. Uh, and so let's go ahead and talk about the the BMW Championship. And uh, it has been really a fascinating opening two days. What's caught your eye here as we head into the weekend at the BMW? I mean, just the, the golf course and how suitable it is to, to longer hitters. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau coming uh, a missed six-footer away from shooting 59. Uh, just really one of the most amazing rounds of golf you'll see. And it really could not suit a player like that any better because uh, Caves Valley right now, it's very soft, but it's also uh, not very narrow right around that you know 300 to 330 uh, you know landing zone uh, on most holes. And it really has no defense for for players like Bryson, like Patrick Cantlay, like Rory. We're seeing Rory play pretty well. I mean, these guys who are who are uh, able to hit the ball really far this week, uh, they are just have such a massive advantage over the Jordan Spieth and Colin Morikawa's of the world. It really is a uh, a pretty stark difference this week, and at a, at a lot of courses, that's not necessarily the case. But it's been a, a pretty uh, just you know it's decidedly uh, in favor of the Bombers right now. We, we've got you know John Rahm, we have Bryson, we have Patrick Cantlay, we have guys who are who are absolutely smashing the golf ball, and uh, there's just not a lot of fear uh, in the in these guys' eyes right now. I think you know at least 25 under is going to win this golf tournament uh, which is uh, which is extremely extremely low but uh, there's just nothing stopping them right now unless there's some crazy conditions that, that come in there's nothing stopping them from being at least 25 under to win this tournament yeah that the course is just giving up everything uh, you're exactly right about that uh, that is that's a, a stunning number to hear but it also seems highly likely uh and so the bmw if you like birdies if you like eagles uh you're gonna like the weekend um i, I want to ask you about phil mickelson because he yesterday took to twitter and i had known nothing about this until i saw the phil mickelson rat uh, saying that he has heard that a reduction in driver length could be on tap for the USGA and the RNA. He is furious about it. Uh, had you heard anything like this? Uh, why would that be instituted and why would Phil be so upset? Yeah, you know, I, I think this has been coming for a little while now with, with talking about limiting, uh, you know, driving distance, kind of putting a cap, uh, a speed limit, if you will, on, on what these guys can accomplish. Uh, you know, we've had a lot, we've had a lot made of, uh, you know, Bryson looking at 48 inch drivers and a lot of players have actually been putting into play, you know, 46 and a half, uh, 47 inch drivers kind of, uh, you know, testing the limits of what, what is, what is possible with trying to, trying to gain club head speed. I think it probably is a, a good decision to, to cap, this in the way that we cap other things in other sports right i mean we we uh, for, for swimming there are certain outfits that are not allowed you know right. you can go down the list of different right. individual sports with uh, you know tennis and you know racket technology tennis ball technology all those different things i think golf is just trying to find where they can try, kind of draw that line and, and length is one of them it's a very well-known fact i mean the, the driver is the longest club in the bag for a, le- for a reason the longer the club the more uh, the more club head speed you're able to generate 
And we are kind of heading in that direction where, you know, in my opinion, if they did not limit this five years from now, everyone would have a 48-inch driver. And uh, it sounds great in, in theory, but when you have to build 8,500-yard golf, cor- uh, 8, uh, golf courses just to, you know, keep these guys, uh, you know, reined in or at least, or at least trying to, to challenge them in some way, it's, uh, you know, you're spending a lot more money on watering the golf course. You're spending a lot more money on, on uh, just you know, to, to maintain the, the, the grass. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a big problem trying to limit distance in golf right now. And uh, I don't know why Phil is so, so upset, but uh, in my opinion, this is the right move. Yeah. I, I would think that, and we know that he takes pride in the driver, but he's far and away, not even close to one of the biggest bombers on tour. This would be something that would uh, infuriate the Bryson DeChambeau's of the world and maybe give hope to some of the guys who rely on the irons as opposed to just blasting it, uh, it, you know, as far as they possibly can. I agree with you. You can only make these golf courses so big. This isn't limitless, uh, the extent of, of uh, what you're, you're constructing and putting together. Like, there needs to be some sort of constraint. I think this is the natural way to actually do it because you can't sports have their dimensions golf has its dimensions you can't just keep making bigger and bigger and bigger or it's not going to be the sport any longer yeah, I mean, imagine making baseball fields uh, like bigger, five hundred feet, the, moving the the fence back right. every year because of uh, there's just too many home runs. Or, I mean, I, I understand people's concerns that you you know you don't want to uh, govern the game and, and limit it too much, but you, you just have to be able to you know have have some foresight on this. Look in the, look into the future. What do you see as the future of golf? And I don't think that we want every five hundred yard par four, which used to be a massive mammoth par four, being a driver in a wedge. I don't think that's really the best version of the game. Uh, and I think we do need to kind of put a, a reasonable cap on this because it's, it's important to note, you know, the manufacturers in, in golf have a very, very important place in the business of the game. And they, they account for uh, a massive portion of the, you know, the money that goes into these tournaments. So uh, those, those research and development departments at all those, uh, all those, uh, you know, the TaylorMades, Callaways, Titleist, all those companies, they need to, to still be allowed to go out and, and pursue better ways to hit a golf ball. But we do need to find some reasonable speed limit where we can kind of say, all right, this is a little bit ridiculous with, you know, allowing guys to have 48 inch drivers because we don't want every single player hitting at 340. Uh, that, I mean, that cost even gets passed down to the consumer, yeah. you know, for golf courses that have to be built that long, you know, that's the, the, the more money it costs to maintain a golf course, the more money the, the average person is paying to, pay, to, to play that golf course. I mean, it, it's just not, a, it's not a very healthy cycle to get into. There has to be some kind of reasonable line that, that has to be drawn at some point. I think those are all really good points. Sean Fairholm, GlobalGolfPost.com. Read all of his feature work. He is on top of the Curtis Cup this weekend. And he mentioned that being the equivalent of the, the Walker Cup. And uh, speaking of the Walker Cup, it will come up uh, prominently when later on in the show, Rick Carl, the sports professor, sits down with Jeb Bush. That is uh, a name that comes from the Bush family, and you actually uh, were able to uh, to walk for just a bit side by side with George W. Bush, who was at the Walker Cup at Seminole just a couple of months ago. 
Absolutely, yeah. There was a beautiful uh, opening ceremony where he, he he spoke to you know a crowd of a few thousand. Uh, Governor DeSantis was there as well. But the the, the Walker family is uh, you know in the Bush family. I mean, it's, it's just a, a a huge huge importance to the to the Walker Cup. Uh, it's just a very important tournament for them. Uh, they they usually have somebody who has come to to every single Walker Cup in the past, and uh, and, and they also have really played a huge role in golf as well with with, with the first tee program. For those who aren't aren't familiar, that's where uh, you know underprivileged kids and uh, and youth throughout the country have, have got to get the opportunity to learn the game of golf. Very very important to that initiative as well. So uh, one one of the the first families of, of golf, if you will, uh, they, they've definitely been very impact impactful. Uh, let's talk about Patrick Reed. This sort of came out of nowhere. Uh, he had uh, been absent from the PGA Tour. He had withdrawn, and we were wondering why was it an injury? Uh, did uh, someone tell him hey you should rest up you're going to be on the Ryder Cup team no he has bilateral pneumonia he's been back home in Texas recovering and in uh, a pandemic COVID-19 world you hear that and it's pretty scary he says he's doing well uh, so that's of utmost importance but also from a golf standpoint that presents a fascinating scenario and storyline for the Ryder Cup team because that's his thing that's where he has really primarily made his name Captain America, and this is going to be a tough ask of him. It's pretty poor timing, isn't it? I mean, first and foremost, we everybody wants him to, to be healthy and to to be safe and and, and every everything. But in, in terms of how it pertains to golf, I mean, this is just a terrible timing. Uh, you know, you just don't really know exactly what his health would be like for for later on. Uh, you know, late September at Whistling Straits. Uh, and this is not a golf course that's going to be one that you can kind of dink it around. This is going to be, uh, it's going to require, especially for someone like him who does not hit the ball very far, it's going to require all of his strength, all of his energy off of the tee. So it, it'll be interesting. I, I think, you know, if he doesn't play the Tour Championship, uh, then I, I think that kind of, Steve Stricker's mind is probably going to be made up at that point. I, I just don't see how he could be on this team. Uh, he's, he's played very well in past Ryder Cups, but uh, this this may not be uh, be happening for him, and especially with how other players are, are playing at this point. We have Tony Finau kind of locking down uh, one of the 12 spots, uh, what, a spot that we thought might be available, you know, as, as uh, you know, recently as a couple weeks ago. Uh, this is not really looking good on, on the golf side for Patrick Reed, and hopefully health-wise he is, uh, he's able to, to have a, a full recovery. Alright, let's jump into the Ryder Cup. We are getting closer and closer. They have started putting the grandstands up. It's going to be a very similar setup to the PGA Championship at Whistling Straits, and uh, it's going to be competitive. And as we discussed, we think the teams are going to be pretty evenly matched when uh, we chatted about it a few weeks ago. But let's go through the mock teams, the mock Ryder Cup teams, the Americans and the Europeans, courtesy of Sean Fairholm. And Sean, why don't we start with the Europeans? That seems a little bit more clear-cut than than maybe the American side still, with really the only drama coming with that final Ryder roster spot but uh, why, why don't you give us your mock european team yeah well right now the, the qualifier is uh, john rom that's kind of the obvious one right he's he's, he's locked in he's, he's going to be the leader for this team uh rory mcelroy he, he's going to make this team on uh, you know through the points list as well tommy fleawood terrell Haddon, uh world-class players who are going to be on this team uh victor hovland i think this is kind of the the future of this european Ryder cup team right he's going to be if you had to plan out the next 10 Ryder cups you would 
be thinking he is going to be on that team pretty much all 10 times, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that has to be a, kind of an obvious one. Paul Casey, I think he's he's had a, a pretty solid year for the most part. I think that's going to be a, that's a that's a big uh, a big piece of that team. He, he has played pretty well in past Ryder Cup, so I think that's going to be a, a big part of the team. Matthew Fitzpatrick right now is is qualified. Uh, Lee Westwood, um, I, I think uh, you know he played so well earlier in the year has fallen off a little bit. That'll be interesting to see whether he is going to be uh, a really big piece in terms of how much they're asking him uh, with his age. I think that's uh, it will be interesting to see how, how you know how much they're going to push. And then Shane Lowry has had a, a tremendous summer. He has just been playing so well, played great at Kiowa, played great at the Open Championship. Uh, I think he is going to be factoring in uh, prominently to this team. And, I mean, we're seeing it this week. Uh, I think that, you know, in terms of the captain's picks, uh, Sergio and, and Poulter, right? I mean, Sergio is playing really well this week at the, at the BMW. I think those guys are, are just kind of grandfathered in right now based on uh, based on how, you know, they have played in past Ryder Cups. We just know their history. We know exactly kind of who they are. And I think that last spot, um, right now, I, I'm leaning towards Bob McIntyre, the, the, the lefty from Scotland. Right. I think he's played just really solid golf throughout uh, throughout his uh, throughout his summer, and I think he's kind of the guy who gives them the best chance uh, with length off the tee. And uh, it's good to have a little bit of uh, youth on that team to go along with uh, what is a lot of experience. I mean, they have a, a ton of guys that I just named off who have been on a lot of Ryder Cup teams. I think a little bit of an, an infusion of youth is going to be uh, really helpful for the Europeans. I love the Bob McIntyre pick. Sean Fairholm bringing it. That's his European team. Uh, so, again, Sean Fairholm, Global Golf Post. Read all of his work, his feature work at GlobalGolfPost.com. Commies, our golf insider. We've done the uh, Europeans. Now, Sean, your American side at the Ryder Cup, the way you see it right now. It, it's funny. I think this team has shaped up uh, a lot over the last few weeks. Uh, uh, you know, if you would have asked me a month ago, maybe even two months ago, it would have been pretty hazy, but I think we kind of have a good idea at this point. The uh, automatic qualifiers as of right now Colin Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, uh, Bryson. Brooks, JT, and Finau. Uh, Finau has been seen at Whistling Straits. I think it's a pretty pretty easy pick mm-hmm. to, to assume that Finau is going to be on this team with with his length, with his with uh, with everything that he's accomplished in his career, and having just won. I think that's a pretty safe bet. After that, I think uh, you have Xander, of course, coming off of the Olympics, uh, the, being the gold medalist. Uh, I, I think that's a, a pretty much a, a slam dunk pick if he does not qualify on the on the points and of course there's only six qualifiers on the u.s side and uh, and there's nine on the european side and then i think you know you have to go with jordan spieth with how well he's played in the, in the past couple of, of majors you know the masters the open championship played great in both of those i think he's definitely an easy pick and, and so is harris english uh, a two-time winner this year won the travelers championship in that uh, amazing eight-hole playoff has really just been uh, you know had had this uh, amazing resurgence in his game. I think that's kind of a, a, a no-brainer. And then we're seeing Patrick Cantlay play well uh, this week at the BMW. I think he already had a spot. This, this even further cements uh, Patrick Cantlay's spot. Uh, I, I would go with Daniel Berger uh, for, for, for that next spot. I just think that 
the team kind of needs uh, somebody who is uh, kind of going to bring a little bit of that flair. I, I think that Daniel Berger has that that confidence, that pizzazz that the U.S. team could really need. And I think that last spot, it's going to be interesting. I like Scotty Scheffler. I think Scotty Scheffler is going to be uh, kind of a, a guy who brings a little bit of youth to this team, uh, a, a huge hitter off the tee, and someone who, you know, he finished runner-up at match play to, to, to Billy Horschel. He's been very consistent all summer long. I think if you look at the stats, uh, Scotty Scheffler is probably the most deserving of that last spot. So, uh, but I mean, I know a lot of people want to want to vouch for for Kevin Kisner. I just don't think this is really the golf course for him. Uh, you know, he won the Wyndham Championship, completely different golf course. I just don't think you can take a win on a course like that and just say, oh, since you won that tournament, uh, a tournament where Adam Scott had about a three footer to, to win <laughs> that uh, in, a, in a playoff. I, I think Kevin Kisner is probably the he's the last man out, maybe right now. But I just don't think this golf course is really the one that we we wanted. That it probably would have been a lot better in uh, 2018 in France on a, a short, narrow golf course to have Kevin Kisner. This time around, probably doesn't make as much sense. Man, Captain Sean Fairholm has a nice ring to it. That is absolutely excellent. Those are noted, and we will put them up uh, against the official teams in just a couple of weeks' time. But as always, outstanding inside insider info from Sean Fairholm, Global Golf Post, globalgolfpost.com, our golf insider here on Honda Classic Live. Sean, enjoy the rest of the current cup enjoy the rest of the bmw we'll chat next saturday okay all right sounds good thanks for having me sean fairholm global golf post when we return rick harrow with former florida governor jeb bush it's honda classic live on espn time to hear from a former florida governor as we plug along here on honda classic live i'm ken lavica i also host the boardroom presented by the honda classic every wednesday here on espn 106.3 uh, talking sports business, we do it for an hour every Wednesday night, starting at 6. My co-host is Rick Harrow, the sports professor. He is uh, honestly one of the most well-connected people I've ever met. Forget just in sports, uh, but just period. His Rolodex is gigantic, and he's old enough to still use a Rolodex. Hope you heard that, Rick. Uh, but, man, that guy just knows everybody. He was part of bringing the heat to South Florida. He has been part of some of the biggest negotiations in sports, stadium deals over the course of his illustrious career, and uh, he happens to spend an hour with me talking about his expertise in sports business uh, every Wednesday here on ESPN 106.3. A former Florida governor, Jeb Bush, has a rich history in sports. Of course, former uh, part owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, his brother George W. Bush, former owner of baseball's Texas Rangers, the Bush family ingrained in sports. The Walker Cup on the golf side, yeah, that is an event that is named after the Bush family. And Rick Harrow had a chance to sit down with former Governor Jeb Bush and talk about the Walker Cup, that legacy, about the Bushes and golf, and about the state of sports overall. A fascinating listen. This is a portion of Rick Harrow's interview with former Florida Governor Jeb Bush from this past Wednesday on the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic. You're hearing it on this Saturday morning on Honda Classic Live. Sports professor Rick Harrow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Let's get one of the best interviews we've had in a long time with a friend who has risen way beyond sports and ran for president. Bottom line is Florida governor, John Ellis Bush, Jeb, born in 1953 in Midland, Texas, to future President George H.W. Bush and future First Lady Barbara Bush. The nickname Jeb, the initials of his name, J-E-B. At the age of 17, he Bush taught English as a second language and built a school in Mexico 
where he met his future wife. He attended college at the University of Texas, playing on the Longhorn Varsity tennis team in 1973. He also served as governor of Florida from 99 until 2007 and ran for president, as we know, in 2016. He served as part owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars from 1993 until 1997. Jeb Bush and his wife, Columba, have three children and four grandchildren. And before we uh, have the interview with Jeb, schools basically coming back all over the country, including in Florida. A shout out to college administrators who want to maximize participation in diversity in all forms of competition. And nowhere is it more significant than in sports, but also in debate, both at the college and high school level. According to the City Foundation, the Houston study that was done by the Independent School District talks about a 0.6% increase in GPA and a 52 to 57 point increase in SATs basically from high school debaters. Why 160,000 of them in high school alone, about 12,000 in Florida, according to the National Speech and Debate Association. And the Florida Civics and Debate Initiative, started by the Florida Department of Education, is directly involved in this effort. But let's go a little further. Super Bowl had about 120 million watchers, and the debates of who wins, uh, is there offsides, what about these penalties? But sports fans agree to disagree. They meet passion with civility, and the combination of Florida civics and debate, coupled with sports, enhances literacy, education, and citizenship. The uh, Florida Debate Initiative was born based on these theories, and I'm honored to run the sports component of it and be involved in it, at least, and coordinate it. Questions like, NBA eligibility at a high school, a designated hitter, will it be there universally? Is Tom Brady the greatest of all timers at Michael Jordan? Bottom line is nobody knows these answers, but students are urged to bring their best heat when they debate these issues. It's in place this academic year. Florida creates a model for all to follow. A shameless plug since I'm involved, clearly, but it also impacts national and, frankly, international diversity and the ability to state your arguments. The reason why this is so important is Jeb Bush as governor and as a presidential candidate weighed in fairly specifically about the virtues of sports and debate in the context of all of his questions. Pay special attention to Jeb Bush, John Ellis Bush. Governor? Rick, it's a joy being with you. Yeah, I, I, look, it's really exciting. I've looked up to you for many years and looked up to you politically, but I've also looked up to you in the sports world as well. And I know that your dad played in the World Series for Yale. Yeah. What has sports meant to you for, as far as a family legacy is concerned? Well, it, growing up, that's all we did. Yeah. People always ask us, well, what did you talk about? detente you know when you were growing up as a kid or not always said no we talked about the Houston Colt 45s <laughs> or my exploits you know as, as a little leaguer or you know we were we love sports um, I grew up in a time where we were told not to come in to the house until until it was time to eat and we we just played sports so my dad was uh, you know a huge advocate for for us to do that and my greatest joys were going to baseball games with him 
And you had the ability to get involved in the business as well. We'll talk about that in a second. The family political business, but the family sports business, obviously. Uh, way back before you even thought about it's the Walker Cup because? Because of my great-grandfather yeah. founded it, um, George H. Walker. My dad's name's George H.W. Yeah. Herbert Walker Bush. Yeah. Uh, my brother's name George Walker Bush. Yeah, so there's a, there's a Walker connection there. And... Um, the whole Walker clan, every two years when they're playing in the United States, will show up wherever it is. It's always in pretty good places like the National and Seminole. Well, Seminole last year especially, that was an incredible event with incredible weather yeah. and Jack Nicholas holding court and you know, you around, but the business leaders and the political leaders go because they want to see this event as an event as well. Absolutely. Um, I'm not sure what got into my, my uh, great-grandfather's uh, had to do this, but it turned out pretty good. Well, he donated a trophy. I mean, you yeah. could donate a trophy to something. <laughs> <laughs> you could be, you could be, could be right there. He so, also was a founder of. I didn't know this till I went to play once at Augusta. He was one of the founding members, which blew me away. Uh, do the people who govern Augusta, and we all know who they are, understand that stroke? And because obviously Augusta is the land of the understated, you're not supposed to talk about it. Someone else is supposed to find out about it. Did you make sure that someone else found out about it? No, they already knew it. Okay. But I didn't actually, so uh, it was a it was a nice, pleasant surprise as you're walking up to the third floor of this incredible, you know, yeah. uh, building with the most amazing experience as a golfer. What is success in sports or participation in sports? How did it how did it prepare you for life in a very very successful life in business and and politics? Totally, uh, I, I, you know, it's it's kind of disturbing to see young people just all yeah. crouched up yeah. looking at looking at screens when. Just the resiliency, uh, the competitive nature, the sportsmanship—you know—all um, of that are, you know, help you be a good leader or a good person. So, um, whether it's, I, you know, it's, it doesn't even have to be organized sports. In fact, I think it's better to have—not that it should be called disorganized yeah, sports—but right. allow your creativity to come up. We, when I was growing up, we had, we played, we created an Olympics uh, of things that. Um, didn't make the Olympics. Uh, right the, now the, 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 the Bush Family Olympics, or was this? Yeah, no, it was kids in the neighborhood, yeah. and we had all sorts of different events that we made up using our imagination. And um, so, that kind of uh, attitude, that the, the the skills you learn, the interpersonal skills, all the things that you learn through sports, I think, are really important. If I were to ask you which brother was a better athlete, would you answer that? Uh, I don't know. We're we're kind of we're roughly equal. I'll tell you one thing. Um, my brother, my oldest brother, much more older brother, uh, former president uh, W, shot his age a month ago. Why doesn't that become a major story? Because he's understated about that stuff, or he doesn't? Yeah, really I don't, get I don't too think he, he doesn't toot his own horn. But yeah. I mean, that was pretty good. He that was, is pretty good. He 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 was very happy. I was happy for him. Well, that's, that's enough. We don't have to talk about it further. That's Rick, really good. Let's shift gears a little bit, but talk about sports, debate, agree to disagree. So the difference, more common interest from my perspective, you're watching a Super Bowl, you can argue about pass interference and holding and all, but at the end of the day, you're supposed to hug it out, you can be civil, you can be intense. Mm -hmm. What does that message tell us about modern day political and business discourse? I don't know about business, but modern-day political discourse uh, is not old school, like what you just described. It's yeah. the exact opposite. 
in politics today, you can win by pushing someone down because it, it, without accomplishing anything, but you look good. And looking good is more important than doing things to help people. So, I mean, you could have two opponents with dramatically different views, both win in a debate because they're pandering to a base. Whereas, you know, in sports, you have, uh, I mean, it, it may be a little superficial, but there's, there is, you know, the dialogue is more civil for sure. Now, sports radio is starting to reflect our culture as well, and it's, it looks more like politics these days, perhaps. But uh, having wholesome arguments about things, whether they're important or not, or, is, is important. And being able to, uh, you know, disagree agreeably is not part of politics today. When I was admiring your rapidly rising political career, I never thought I would hear the day where you get up in the morning and you listen to 610 sports radio for your intellectual satisfaction. That's what I do. <laughs> I do. Uh, I'm not sure it's for my intellectual satisfaction, but I love sports. So a couple more things about sports and debate. So we understand from a University of Houston study done by City that people are debating, the high school debaters, 160,000 of them around the country have SATs that are about 70 points higher, their grade point is about 0.6 higher, and the state of Florida has created this civics and debate initiative to help push the envelope. What do you think of that? I think it's a great idea, totally. Um, and I love the idea that you're developing to make sports to be the, the not just to have you know, some discussion about resolve, should North Korea have a nuclear weapon or not? I mean, that's, that stuff's important, and yeah. doing the research and all the skills that come from uh, proper debating, but you could also have a, a similar kind of situation with sports, and I think you would actually get more people to be involved. And that's the key of this, is to, to have as much participation as, as, as you can. I mean, think about this. The um, Netflix show, I think it was Netflix, the show about uh, the, the young woman who, who, who was a genius at playing chess mm -hmm. during the pandemic created this surge of people playing chess. Okay. And you could make a pretty compelling case that chess is another intellectually uh, engaging kind of sports that helps you with your, your studies and helps you, you know, have a broader horizon. So those kind of things matter. And, and I will tell you, a month ago, was at the National Spelling Bee, which was at Disney, yeah. and it was a sport. Boy, don't get in the middle of those kids getting prepared for that. Well, I love that. the winner. The winner was, is also a great athlete. She's a great athlete, and she's an incredible person, and ESPN covered it as a sporting event, and we're hoping that we get the same kind of traction with sports and, and she's, debate. And she's, uh, she's been offered a full ride to uh, LSU uh, yes. at the age of whatever. Whatever. <laughs> well, we have an NIL issue there, which we can talk yeah. about as well. She could, she yeah. could break it in. Yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty easily. So, you know, give me give me a sense of how important sports is in helping us not only get through the pandemic, but become better citizens, become more um, resilient, become more uh, uh, able to get along. I mean, is there is there kind of a high-minded message you can leave us with? Yeah, look, uh, particularly youth youth sports, and from that you know comes all sorts of other things, but. The discipline, the resiliency, the toughness, the the camaraderie, the sportsmanship—all um, of that develops a stronger person. And you know, you look at the studies of young people, particularly now, um, they're less resilient than they should be. We're living in the most amazing time, and yet people are moping around. And 
they can't listen to someone disagree with them. Yeah. You know, we're, we're in this cancel culture that's really quite dangerous. And I think sports gives you more confidence to be able to um, accept the fact that not everybody's going to agree with you and that someone that disagrees with you isn't, isn't you know, committing an act of violence on you. Yeah. I mean, our colleges are rife with this problem and now it's percolating into um, the rest of society. And I think getting back to the basics would be hugely important for the next generation. My friend, I appreciate it. Plus it's fun. Well, plus it's fun. That's what we forgot about all that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Jeb has a lot to tell us as a sports fan, as a businessman, and as someone who could compromise for a living and obviously did it very, very well. The sports professor Rick Carl with former Florida Governor Jeb Bush as heard in part this past Wednesday on the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic. When we return here on the only golf radio show in Palm Beach County and the Treasure Coast, we will look at the BMW Championship. Head through the leaderboard as the FedEx Cup playoffs continue. I'm Ken Lavica, and this is Honda Classic Live on ESPN 106.3. Hey, welcome back into Honda Classic Live Saturday, ESPN 106.3. I'm Ken Lavica. I want to thank Sean Fairholm of Global Golf Post and GlobalGolfPost.com for his outstanding, outstanding work this morning. Our golf insider, he has come up with what he believes are going to be the American and European teams of the Ryder Cup. If you missed any of it, Honda Classic Live podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, it's free. Subscribe to it. Uh, but Sean Fairholm uh, breaking down what he believes to be the Ryder Cup teams in just a couple of weeks' time at Whistling Straits. And Rick Harrell, the sports professor, my co-host on Wednesdays with the boardroom presented by the Honda Classic, his golf discussion with former Florida Governor Jeb Bush, that also on the Honda Classic Live podcast as well. Sean Fairholm and his opening drive was presented by Tire Kingdom. Tire Kingdom, so many locations in Palm Beach County and the Treasure Coast. You got to make sure your car is on the up and up. We are still in rainy season. It is slick out there on the roadways. Once three o'clock hits for your commute home, you know that it's probably going to start raining on you. You got to make sure the tires are in good shape. Got to make sure the wipers are in good shape. And that's where Tire Kingdom comes in. If you start to see streaks on the windshield, if you start to feel some slipping on the tires well it's time don't wait because bad things can happen uh, so make sure your car is in tip-top shape at tire kingdom curbside service and more they have all the safety protocols against covid19 it's a safe experience and they make your car safe at tire kingdom just go online to tirekingdom.com schedule your appointment that's tire kingdom tire kingdom.com all right leaderboard time let's head to caves valley the bmw championship where near history made yesterday Bryson DeChambeau shoots a 60 in the second round, and he has a one-shot lead at 16 under. You heard Sean Fairholm say it. He believes 25 under uh, is going to be the winning score of the tournament. The way things are going, it could be even greater. Bryson DeChambeau, again, a 60 yesterday, missing a 6-foot putt on 18 that would have given him a sub-60 round, uh, but he'll take the 60. He's 16 under par, but what's amazing is you can shoot a 60, you can be 16 under through two days in the FedEx Cup playoff, and John Rahm is such a a Terminator, such a machine that he's right there. He has atoned for his rare collapse, his rare uh, sequence of mistakes last week at the Northern Trust falling to Tony Finau, and he has come out on a tear. 
he still has a hole left to go because of darkness yesterday. Uh, but he has a chance to go into uh, round three later today, tied for the lead with Bryson DeChambeau. He still has one hole to play in his second round. He is 15 under. Patrick Cantlay, one shot back at 15 under as well. Sung JM and Sergio Garcia, four shots off the pace at 12 under. Abraham Answer. At 11 under par, five shots back of DeChambeau. Jupiter's Rory McIlroy, who earlier this week said, man, I'm just I'm burned out. I played too much golf. Well, he's played well over the first two days. Uh, he is able to tally a, a, a very solid 70 yesterday, and he is at 10 under par. Sanders Shoffley, the gold medalist, at 9 under. That puts him 7 shots off the lead. Hideki Matsuyama and Paul Casey at 8 under par. They're going to tee off together later today. Charles Schwartzel and Harold Varner third, as well as Jupiter's Dustin Johnson, Jupiter's Brooks Kepka. They are all at 7 under par, and that puts them 9 shots off the pace. Kepka, who earlier this week told reporters that, yeah, I'll be fine playing nice with Bryson DeChambeau on the Ryder Cup team. There will not be any issues, despite the fact we are openly enemies and not friends. Daniel Berger, Jupiter resident, 5 under par. You heard Sean Fairholm say it. He believes Daniel Berger is going to be a selection selection to the American Ryder Cup team. Tony Finau, who won last week at the Northern Trust, finally picking up a victory. He is five shots back. He makes the weekend no problem. Uh, He's five under, I should say, 11 shots off the lead. Jonathan Vegas uh, is also at five under as we continue on with this BMW Championship leaderboard. Again, Bryson DeChambeau in the lead at 16 under par, one shot better than John Rahm. Uh, as we continue on down the leaderboard, taking a look at Phil Mickelson, three under par. He shoots a 73 yesterday, one over, really fought it, uh, but he is into the weekend. Is Phil Mickelson three under for him? Jordan Spee, three under. Lee Westwood, three under as well. Uh, Max Homa at one under par. Uh, he's able to get into the weekend, as is Louis Oosthuizen. Uh, and uh, so those are the BMW Championship uh, leaders. And uh, a look at the BMW Championship leaderboard. And Bryson DeChambeau is in the lead at 16 under par. One shot better than John Rahm. Caves Valley is not putting up a lot of resistance in any way, shape, or form. Scoring is at a premium. And if you like birdies, if you like eagles, it's going to be served up in spades, it seems, this weekend at Caves Valley and that BMW Championship. Honda Classic Live, that's going to wrap it up for us. I'm Ken Levicka. We'll be back next week, Saturday. We do it every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It is the only golf radio show in Palm Beach County and the Treasure Coast, and it's right here on ESPN 106.3. For Sean Fairholm of Global Golf Post, uh, as well as Rick Harrell, the sports professor, and Joe Rigotti running things in the Anna John Levine Accident Attorney Studios in downtown West Palm Beach. I'm Ken Lavica. Until next weekend, have a great rest of this weekend. This has been Honda Classic Live on ESPN 106.3. Goodbye, everybody.